And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a terrific week. Um, a ton to get to. Uh, lots and lots to get to on the show. As always today, I was joined by my good friend Greg Price from Lone Conservative. Always a great time talking to Greg. I think you guys will really enjoy it. We talk about uh, Tucker Carlson standing up to the leftist outrage mob, which is great. We talk about uh, both Democrats and Republicans being in favor of expanding the size and scope of government, which is not great. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of good and a lot of bad on the show today, um, as always. First, I want to uh, remind you guys to follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod if you haven't already. And please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I would really appreciate that. All right. Without further ado, here is my chat with Greg Price. All right, guys, I'm here with my friend Greg Price from Lone Conservative. Greg, thanks so much for taking the time, brother. It's good to be back on with you, Brady. Absolutely, man. You're one of my frequent flyers who, uh, you know, circles back every couple months. It's always a good time talking to you. Um, Let's just jump right into the news of the day. Um, Our friends over on the political left have spent the last 48 hours um, (laughs) trying to take down Fox News host, Tucker Carlson. They they really think this is important. This is the top thing on their agenda is to destroy Tucker Carlson. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I we, we live in this culture of an outrage industry, and it's backed by millions of dollars and countless man hours in the quest to basically just destroy the lives and destroy the careers of people that this outrage industry doesn't like. And media matters is is at the front of this um and the reason that it exists is because the people on the left are so afraid to actually confront conservative ideas confront ideas that they disagree with that instead when kevin williamson gets hired by the atlantic they're going to go back to the podcast archives and find something bad that he said um when ben shapiro draws very large crowds they're going to make him answer for a tweet about living in about arabs living in open sewage from 2000 2010. And they did the same thing to Barry Weiss. They've done the same thing to Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram. They do the same thing to all of these people. And it's because they are too big of cowards to actually confront conservatives with their on the basis of ideas that they'd rather fake. They'd rather launch launch the culture of fake outrage in order to take them down. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And it's funny, too, that they're so intimidated by guys like Tucker Carlson. Uh, you know, I should back up, too, for anybody that's missed the, the news cycle. Um, if, if whoever's missed the news cycle, good for you, by the way, because it, it's, you know, it wasn't particularly important. But uh, Tucker Carlson was on some, like, Howard Stern-type shock jock show called, called what Bubba, was it called? Bubba the Love Sponge. Bubba, Bubba the Love Sponge <laughs> back in 2007. So we're talking over a decade ago. Um, and he made some, When he was working you know, for MSNBC. Yeah, yeah, he was a host on MSNBC at the time. So they conveniently left that part out. But, uh, yeah, so he's on the Shock Jock show, Bubble the Love Sponge, and you make some fucked up comments, whatever. Um, and that, that's why they're trying to take him down. Um, 
it is funny, like you said, they're they're terrified to actually engage in the battle of ideas. So they just try to you know kick anybody who's a conservative or, or a libertarian or on the right at all uh, off the air. It's funny because they controlled like ninety seven percent of the news media, all of Hollywood, all of comedy, all all of <laughs> all of everything. Like all conservatives have are like half of Fox News's programming and some podcasts. That's it. You know, Daily Wire, The Blaze, independent shows like this one, and then a few shows on Fox News. That's it. The left controls everything else. It's like they, they aren't satisfied controlling 95% of media. They, they won't rest until they control all of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's crazy to see all of these commentators, too, like Anderson Cooper, who – what was his quote? He said that Tucker Carlson's words from 2007 on some random – shock jock show are like the biggest threat to america these days or something to that effect yeah yeah and anderson cooper the uh, you know obviously the objective newsman the the very serious person he's a very serious person this anderson cooper that's why i got hammered and started making sex jokes about his mom on new year's eve if you if y'all remember that yeah uh anderson cooper said quote this kind of speech if left unchecked could change america forever unquote Nailed it, Anderson Cooper. You absolutely nailed it. Tucker Carlson's jokes on Bubba the Love Sponge 12 years ago are the, are the biggest threat to our democracy. But the, yeah, the bigger point on that, too, is no one who was outraged about Tucker Carlson's comments from 2007 are people who, who, one, watch Tucker Carlson or even know who he is or even know what he thinks. I don't agree with a lot of the things that Tucker Carlson says, but but still – the, the, the outrage about this is all manufactured, backed by millions of dollars, including from people like George Soros, and it, it, it's not designed to actually find issues, find actual issues with people who are on the air and hold them accountable for it. It's, whole, it's, it's, it's based on juring up this fake outrage in an attempt to remove people off the air that, these people, that they don't like. Media Matters and other organizations like it make America a far worse place. Because they take away the engagement of ideas and they put forth just this this culture of fake outrage. And speaking to media matters, you know, the right doesn't do this. At least not to the best of my knowledge. I don't think there's any organizations on the right. Like the you know, the Koch brothers aren't founding an or you know, aren't funding an organization to try to take down leftist commentators or anything. And, and I don't want anybody on the right to start a company like Media Matters. But if there was something like that, there'd at least be some kind of like mutually assured destruction, right? Like both sides would be going after each other's advertisers and stuff like that. But there's nothing like this. It's only happening on one side. Yeah, I mean, there's there have been a few things that are similar. Like Ben Shapiro, before he founded The Daily Wire, used to run this uh, little media watchdog called Truth Revolt. And oh, that's it, right. It, that's right. It was, I, I totally it was, forgot about it was, that. Yeah. And, and it was similar, but it wasn't the same. In the, it, it, it didn't. It wasn't the same in, in in the sense that the goal of Truth Revolt wasn't to stir up all of this fake outrage in an attempt to destroy people. It doesn't like the point was the point of it was to hold members of the media accountable for things that for actual ne- negligence and bad things that they've said. So I can't think of any prominent. Uh, that that's the only one that comes to mind. Something right and tr- Truth Revolt. One, Truth Revolt wasn't on the same scale as a company like Media Matters. And also, they would go after like actual issues, like yeah. people in the media blatantly lying or saying something anti-Semitic or do, you know, doing something actually bad, not trying to police jokes from 12 years ago. You know? yeah. But it's, just, it's so astounding to me, man, that the entire mainstream media has spent the last 48 hours plus obsessing over taking down a Fox News host. 
I mean, I mean, look, we just had like dozens of people slaughtered by a tornado in Alabama. Trump just released his new budget that would actually cut entitlements for the first time in 50 years. England still can't figure out Brexit. Pakistan and India, two superpowers armed with nuclear weapons, are shooting each other's planes down. There's another terrorist attack in Sweden. Yeah, I mean, there, there's real shit going on, man. Like, there's other things happening in the world, and we're, we're talking about Tucker Carlson making some dick jokes or whatever on Bubba the Love Sponge. Like, it's just... This is why we hate the press. Like, this is why people don't trust the media. There's real-world issues going on every day. You know, a dozen more people killed in Chicago's South Side last weekend. I mean... There's real issues, man, and and we're talking about twelve-year-old jokes from Tucker Carlson. It is just—it's astounding. Yeah, I mean, if you want to know why people hate the media, the reason people hate the media is because they ignore all of the real issues in the world and they focus on unless they fit the narrative, quote unquote. And and then and then when you call them out on it, they play the victim. Like if you if like Trump can't criticize any like I I don't like the enemy of the people narrative, but when he provides. Any, any legitimate criticism of the media is taken as by them as this full-on attack on the press. And the, if you, the singular reason that Americans don't trust the media is because they only report stories that adhere to their agenda. And when you call them out on it, they, they play the victim. And they just don't seem – they can't seem to wrap their heads around it. Right. The, I mean the mainstream media is just dead, man. They're dead. And look, I, I, I saw a headline. I didn't even click on it. I think it was from Mediaite. Um, I, I may be wrong. I have to look that up. I think it was Mediaite. Um the headline was just uh, something that I totally agree with. It just said, Joe Rogan is this generation's Walter Cronkite. I totally agree. I agree. I mean, if you look at news, the networks and cable news, there's a couple objective newsmen left. I'd say Brett Baer and Chris Wallace. I think, and they're both on Fox News. I, I I would I say Jake, I would, Ta- Jake Tapper and CNN tries sometimes. I would say, yeah, to be I would objective. Say I mean, Jake, I, 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 I at least think Tapper is an honest man who gives a shit. But he, you know, the, 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 I don't know, man. He, he's his leftism comes out. You know, his his non-objectivity comes out quite quite frequently anyway. But I think he at least tries hard. But yeah, man, look, like a guy like Joe Rogan, a comedian, uh, who has a podcast. I mean, it. It's weird even calling his show a podcast. He gets an average 15 million downloads per episode, which is like literally Game of Thrones numbers. It's absolutely crazy. Um, but, you know, he had a, a three-hour-long show with Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, and, and and Tim Pool, an independent journalist, and they talked about real shit, real shit that matters to people and affects the world, and they really dug into really heavy issues for three hours. I mean, he he broke more news on that podcast than, than Anderson Cooper has in his entire career. I mean, I, I think Joe Rogan is the Walter Cronkite of this generation. He probably doesn't know that or realize the impact that he has or even wants that distinction. I'm sure he doesn't. But you know what I mean? I, I think people like Joe and, and people like that are, are the, the future of media, at least media that actually matters to people. Yeah, absolutely. I think the I think the mainstream media is is certainly slowly dying. And what's, what's taking hold of it is our... our Things like the intellectual dark web, all of these people who disagree with each other on pretty much every issue, but they, they, they're united by the fact that they're willing to have conversations with people. They're not, they're, they're not, they're goal, they're not out there solely just to destroy their people who disagree with them. They're there to actually engage with ideas. And that's something that Joe Rogan does, I think, better than everybody is, is, with his show is that he engages in, in ideas whether people like them or not. Like he had Alex Jones on his show for five hours the other day. It was and I, I whole, listened and whole, to every minute of that, by the way, and <laughs> laughed my ass off. It was 
It was it was amazing. It was just it, it was absolutely incredible. If if you haven't if you I, haven't watched that one, do it. It's hilarious. It's, yeah, have a have a couple beers before you do it, and you'll it'll it, it's incredible. It's just incredible incredible thing to listen to. But I love the part of the into real issues too, man. Like Alex yeah. Jones, he says a lot of crazy shit, a lot of conspiracy theories. But they got into the the you know leftist censorship, and they got into you know real issues. It wasn't just crazy aliens and stuff the whole time. Like you know Alex Jones is nuts, but he's not an idiot. You know he knows what he's doing. He's a performer. He's an entertainer. You know, it was it was entertaining, man. Absolutely. And before we move on, I I, I will read uh, for anybody that missed it. Tucker Carlson's response to all of this nonsense. Oh, yeah. He handled this the best way he possibly could, and he really just showed all of us how we should handle the the leftist rage mob if it ever comes from us, which it obviously will. I mean, they're they're coming for all of us. They want all of us dead or silenced. So uh, Tucker refused to bend the knee to the, the rage mob. Um, and this was his statement, quote, Media Matters caught me saying something naughty on a radio show more than a decade ago. Rather than express the usual ritual contrition, how about this? I'm on television every weeknight live for an hour. If you want to know what I think, you can watch. Anyone who disagrees with my views is welcome to come on and explain why. <laughs> so yeah. that is just perfect, man. He's like, fuck you people. I'm not doing the fake apology and donating money to a cause because somebody was offended no screw you people you know he just gave them the middle finger and we all need to give the left the middle finger when they try to silence us i'm tired of the stupid fake apologies if i actually say something wrong on the show i'll apologize and i you i issue retractions man and i'm not an objective journalist i i'm a musician with a podcast i say whatever i want but if i misquote a statistic or i get something wrong i'll lead off the next show saying hey this is what i fucked up this is what i meant to say you know, but I, I'll never, ever apologize for making a joke or being crude or something like that. And good on Tucker Carlson for refusing to bend the knee. Absolutely. In his, his opening monologue on his show the next day, he said, when, I, when, when I'm wrong, I've always apologized, but I will never bow to the mob, ever. And that's how anybody should respond who has the fake, the fake outrage industry come after them. Absolutely. And it's... He he's rare, man. Guys like Ruck, Tucker Carlson are rare because Republicans, conservatives are enslaved to the rage mob too. I mean, none of these people stand up to it. They all apologize. They all bow down and oh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, uh, it's so squishy. It's so gross. I mean, it's not just leftists that that behave like this. Conservatives are slaves to the system too. And maybe. Tucker Carlson standing up for himself, and at least as of now, Fox News is still standing by him. Maybe that will send a message to other Republicans and conservatives that they don't have to bow down. They don't have to be a little bitch. They can actually stand up for themselves. Yeah, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. Because again, it's not. this is not real outrage whenever one of these stories pops up. It's all stirred up. It's all manufactured. It's not, it's, it's not real. So the best thing you do is you just give them the middle finger and say... Fuck you. I'm going to I'm on TV five nights a week. Anyone who disagrees with me can come on and tell me why. Good on Tucker, man. I that, that he handled it exactly how he needed to handle it and, and yeah, definitely proud of him. Um let's move on to something a little troubling that's been bubbling up this week. The the left is winning the culture and the left despite not having the Senate or the White House or the Supreme Court, 
the left is still winning politically right now in this country. If you don't believe me, both parties are now in favor of paid family leave. And I, I want to get into that. Um, but to me, this isn't really about I'll, I'll explain it in a second, but it's not really about paid family leave, in my opinion. But what do you think about the fact that both political parties are now strongly in favor of paid family leave? Um, I find it concerning because not not that paid family leave is a bad proposal. It's not a bad proposal by any means, but we have a country that's $22 trillion in debt and nobody cares. Nobody in Washington cares. So, which is, and every single year they spend money we don't have. They grow government too big. They promise too much and they mortgage the future of our generation day by day. And that's not to say that any of any of these proposals are bad ideas. Um, it's it's but it is to say that the people in Washington have have a habit of of they've they've stopped they've replaced what works with doing what feels good, and not that and we'll get into the actual specifics of this proposal, but that's just a broad point that I think right. the, the, the both right. parties starting to support the growth of government. That's the that's the broad point that I'd like that that. It's, it's like the broad point of what I think about that. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's all about moving the Overton window. You know, like like you said, we now have two parties that are in favor of the expansion of the federal government. And that just cannot happen. That cannot become normal. And now it, that's been normalized, man. That's that's the stated position of both the Republican and the Democratic parties, that they want more entitlements. They want to grow the size and scope of government and they want government more involved with your lives. That's now the position of the Republicans as well as the Democrats, and that is absolutely terrifying. And that's the thing about when you move the Overton window, it never moves back, right? Like, now the only acceptable position for both parties is more government, right? So if, if somebody comes along next time and says, no, I actually want to shrink the size and scope of government, that'll seem ridiculous to people. It'll seem ridiculous to voters. It'll seem ridiculous to Republican voters, and that's the worst part. I mean, the, these, these changing of these norms— are very very hard to reverse they we haven't really reversed the overton window in terms of size and scope of government since the election of warren g harding in 1920 right and that was because the presidency of roger wilson was so shocking to people he grew the government exponentially and uh he was we're basically careening towards socialism and that's why you know warren harding ran on the you know his slogan was return to normalcy uh, and and people bought that, and he said, "No, we're going to shrink the government. Let's get us back to normal. You know, the government's too big under Wilson." And since then, we've never really shrunk the size and scope of government. I mean, even Ronald Reagan didn't. I mean, he cut taxes, he did a lot of great things, but I mean, he blew out the debt and stuff like that. He didn't really shrink the government. So, it's been, I mean, I mean, we're going on a hundred years now since we've actually shifted the Overton window back to where I'd like it to be. And I don't know, man. That like, it is—it's extremely concerning. Like you mentioned, we're 22 trillion in debt. Social Security will be insolvent in 10 years. Medicare and Medicaid in the next 10 to 15 years. And for the love of God, we're talking about new entitlements. We're talking about new entitlements. Yeah, absolutely. And like this, and like you, you, yeah, you mentioned Social Security is is going insolvent by 2034, and that's the way—the way in which uh, this this bill that Senator. Mike Lee and Joni Ernst have proposed the way they're going to pay for it is families can dip in into their uh, retirement savings that they've paid into uh, their entire lives, and they can use that to pay for uh, for uh, their their family leave if they have 
a baby or adopt one. And then, and then the condition is you have to delay your retirement in order to pay, pay that money back. And the reason, the reason it's not a good, it's, it works in, in theory, it doesn't expand government because it kind of piggybacks off an already existing entitlement. But in reality is like you said, it's going insolvent by 2034. It's not the whole, the whole welfare state right now is, is a, is a ticking, is a, is a house of cards that we're currently just sitting on. And proposals like this are, I, I said it on Twitter, I think it's a scam because it's a program that is not sustainable because the, our current welfare state as it is right now is not sustainable and nobody in Washington seems to care, except Rand Paul. Except Rand Paul, right. Right, and that's why and I, I would have thrown Mike Lee in, into that list with Rand Paul until he proposed this. I, that, that was That was very shocking to see. Uh, for me, because he's, you know, he's been very small government. He's been a very strict constitutionalist until now. So it's, and that maybe that goes back to shifting the Overton window, man. I mean, you you see guys like Ted Cruz and Mike Lee embracing more big government programs. You're like, oof. Uh, I mean, if you guys are on board, what the hell does that say about the rest of them? I mean, it's it's not it's not a good sign. Um, like you said, the entire welfare system is going to be insolvent here soon. It's not sustainable. Basically, the only chance to ever get out of this debt it would be to boost our, our, our GDP growth to something like 8 to 12% annually. I mean, it's you're not going to really cut spending enough to get your way out of $22 trillion in debt. The only way is to, to deregulate everything. Go to like a minarchist system, deregulate the hell out of everything, let people do whatever they want, and hope you hit 10% GDP growth and sustain it for 20 years or something. Like that's literally the only way we're getting out of this, uh, which I unfortunately don't see happening. But, I mean, look, if we start adding new entitlement programs like paid family leave, we're just accelerating. We're accelerating the downfall of all these programs. I mean, it could happen in 10 years. It could happen in eight years. It could happen in five years. I mean, if we keep, especially if a Democrat gets elected, and then God forbid they have a unified Democratic government, they add a whole bunch more social programs. I mean, we're looking at a real collapse this decade. I mean, I know that sounds dramatic, but really, I mean, we're looking at a major collapse nationally this decade. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. The only the only solution the only solution is what it when the time comes that all these programs go insolvent is we're gonna we're gonna have to print our way out of it, and then. You see what happens to all these European countries like Greece that have all this unsustainable debt, and then they have to like Greece has been. I'm pretty sure Greece has been bailed out by the the, the European Central Bank at least three times in the last ten years because they haven't been able to to be able to be able to sustain their finances. And like here, here's my like, and here's my solution. This is something I really don't get. I don't understand why any of these programs have to be done on the federal level. I think they're. I think the the Fed has been wildly inefficient, and so I don't see. I, I, I'm, it's not like I'm against any of these programs. I think they should just be done on the state level. And I think with our current welfare state, I think our choices are, are I think my two solutions would either be to uh, do what do what the what similar to the bipartisan welfare reform bill from the late '90s, where they took all these programs like SNAP and 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 things similar to that, and they put them in block grants to the states, and it worked. It worked. It went from all these inefficient programs done on the federal level to efficient. When in control by actual state governments that know their state, know their citizens better than the Fed does. So that that's my solution to it. I, I it's, I'm not. I think we're one of. I, th- I think we're one of very few countries across the world that doesn't guarantee uh, paid family leave to its citizens in the first few weeks 
that they have they, they have a child. I'm, I'm not against that. I just don't think I think it should be done on the state level, as similar to many to most entitlement programs. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree that that would be way better. Um, I, I wouldn't call state governments efficient, but certainly much more efficient than the federal government. Yeah, not not um, efficient. I'm just more efficient than done on the federal government. On the, on and then state and then states would would you know be able to choose how they wanted to handle that too. I mean, if they are running a, a massive annual surplus, budget surplus, and they want to expand a whole bunch of social programs, they would have the right to do that. I mean, I, I'm more libertarian than you are, and I don't think any of these programs should exist just because I don't think they're helpful or necessary. And I don't know if you agree or disagree with this, but um, the one disturbing thing from a lot of conservatives that I've seen regarding paid family leave is like they're trying to bring in morality to it for some reason. Even though I don't yeah. really think you can mix morality and the the federal government of the United States, I don't think there's. I, I just I don't buy that. Just generally speaking, but they'll say things like, you know, well, you know, we we need strong family units. We need strong family units. So you know, paid family leave can help families. No, no, strong family units come from your faith community and from having personal responsibility. They come from family, God, personal responsibility, being a man, being an adult, stepping up to the plate and doing the right thing. We all know this. We all know that strong families come from faith and personal responsibility. So I don't understand how, like, yeah, faith, personal responsibility. Yeah, and let's sprinkle some government in there, too. You know, it would really help the morality of our nation. Government. <laughs> like that's No, 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 no. Government does not help, man. The federal government ruins most things it touches, uh, especially if you're talking about building strong families. The government, historically, just look at the Great Society and look, look at all the, the missteps in the 60s. The government is not great at, at building strong family units. You know, faith communities, local communities, you know, being personally responsible for yourself and your family, that builds strong family units, not the federal government. So, like, just that argument in general is disturbing to hear that from people on the right, and I think just way off base. Yeah, I'm with you right there. That, that's that. Those, like, the morality of pol- morality is something that shouldn't be mixed with politics. That's something people on the left always like to say, like with the budget that just that Trump just released. All all these Democrats have been saying that a budget is a reflection of our values and that's not true a budget is a reflection of okay what do we need to spend money on what needs to get done it, it's it has nothing to do with values so yeah i'm completely with you that all of these all these people on the right who all of a sudden think government builds strong family units that's that's absolutely wrong one, one more point on on paid family leave too as a general policy a study done by the cato institute found that between 45 percent and 63 percent percent of women already report having access to paid family leave and the majority of women who don't have access are more lower income women which is why i say if it's done on the state level then the if it's done on the state level it'll be more efficient because it's already it's it's, it's mostly lower income women who don't have access to it so it's not like it's it's and, and employers will have less of an incentive to force their employees to use their social security benefits to to use paid family leave so that's right. That's another. I mean, a lot of a lot of employers also give uh, women an option, uh, like as a, as a part of their yeah. like, health benefits or a part of their pay package or something like that. They can choose to include uh, paid paid time off after having a kid or not. So a lot of women, if they're not planning on getting pregnant that year, they don't have to sign up for that program. And if they are, or they might become pregnant, then they will. You know, there's pros and cons financially for doing both. So, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, a lot of employers, I'd say the vast majority already offer it. And then a lot of these employers also give women the, the right to to be included in those programs or not. 
So I, you're right. I just leave it to the employers, leave it to local and, and, and state governments, the employers, and just let women make their own damn minds up about these things. Like, I don't know why we need a blanket, you know, countrywide, coast to coast blanket policy on something like this. Let people make up their own minds. Yeah, I think just just a very yeah, like a very broad point just to sum it up. We live in a culture. We we live in a society these days that has lost our belief in constitutional principles. We've lost our belief in in faith, that, and we've replaced it with a belief in 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 a government that's growing too big and it's going to inevitably fail us. And it's essentially mortgage. It's it's it has mortgaged the future of our generation at this point. And I think that. That's that's a very if you, it's a very scary proposal. It's a very scary uh, thing to see all of these people on the right all of a sudden support expanding the power of government. So right, right. I hope. So yeah, I hope. I hope. I hope the bill fails because I don't think it's a. It's not a very good proposal. Right. I mean, somebody put a microphone in front of Rand Paul right now and just and uh, Justin Amash and uh, Mark Meadows and these guys just let them go off on it for a while so we can remind Republicans uh, that in- increasing the size and scope of government isn't a good idea. I mean, just generally for me, if if somebody asks me the question, should the government pay for blank? I mean, I, I can't even, you know, I, my answer is going to be no before you can even finish the sentence. And I, I used to think that that was kind of a general consensus on, with people among people on the right. But unfortunately, the Overton window is moving, my friend, and it's it's definitely terrifying. Um, all right. I'm running out of time. Um, I, uh, I got to let you go here soon. But um, where can everybody read your stuff, Greg? Where can everybody find you online and keep in touch and all that good stuff? And once again, thanks for uh, coming on, man. It's always a good time talking to you. And I'm sure I'll have you back on soon. Yep. Always good to be on with you, Brady. Uh, Greg underscore Price11 on Twitter, uh, GPrice1234 on Instagram, and check out my author page on Lone Conservative. Got articles right. coming out, hopefully one every few weeks. I'm trying. All right. Greg's a great writer. Check him out over at LoneConservative.com. Um, everybody follow him on Twitter. He is great. Uh, I am Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks.